Hi, everybody. My name is Billy Phoenix, and it's great to be on the Lead Pastor Podcast. Well, today we're continuing the conversation around multi-site ministry. The first couple of episodes of this series, Lane Jones talked us through some of the thoughts and the strategy and some of the nuts and bolts of creating a multi-site church. And over these next few episodes, we're going to turn the page and hear some real-life stories of churches that have walked the road from being a church in a singular location to eventually becoming a church of multiple locations. And so today we're super excited to have with us Paul Smith, who's from Rivertown Community Church, and they exist in Northwest Florida. So Paul, thanks for being with us today. We're so excited that you're here. Billy, it's um, great to be with you. Yeah, exactly. Well, Paul, can you give us a quick uh, snapshot of your road, uh, your personal road to ministry, and then how you found your way to Rivertown before we get into how Rivertown does community church? Tell us about your road to Rivertown. What's interesting about my journey to pastoring this church is it is the church I grew up in, except it was not Rivertown Community Church. It was called Bethel Mennonite Church. When I was about 25 or 26, a senior pastor suddenly died, and I was already kind of on a journey trying to find myself a different path than the Mennonite group. I just felt like there was more to it. Um, of being especially reaching our communities for Jesus Christ. Since my wife and I were looking around, we were uh, young, trying to figure out what our next path was. And about the time we were ready to leave the church, the senior pastor suddenly died, and they asked me if I would begin teaching for them several times a month. And that path, after three years, landed me as a senior pastor, bivocational senior pastor, of what is now Rivertown Community Church. And I was bivocational for eight years and went full-time, and then in 2004, we changed the name to Rivertown Community Church. Wow. So 2004, you changed the name to Rivertown. And you, so you've been a part of either the Mennonite Church or Rivertown for how long now? Well, I've been part of this church all my life. My parents moved from Tallahassee to Bluntstown, Florida yeah. when I was about two years old. So I've been part of this church. Um, I'm 54 this year. And then how long have you been in leadership there? Uh, 25 years. I've pastored this church now for 25 years. Wow, that's a, that's amazing. Well, let's do this. Tell us about Rivertown currently and your multi-site strategy. Can you tell us a little about the community, also to the kind of reach that Rivertown has, and then we're going to rewind and figure out how you guys got here into the multi-site strategy. So we have five locations, uh, basically all in the Panhandle of Florida, except one of our locations is in uh, Fairhope, Alabama, which is kind of an extension of the Panhandle of Florida, if you was look, were looking at a map. And we are all in rural communities. Um, in fact, uh, the Fairhope um, community is the largest um, community that we're in. Um, our Mariana campus has, is in a community, um, a town of 8,000, a county of 50,000. Our Blunstown campus is in a, a town of about 2,400, and I think there's about 14 or 15,000 in that county. Our Wakulla campus is in a town of 3,000, 3,500 people, and I think it's like 25,000 in that county. And then um, our Chipley campus is in a town of about 3,000, and there's about 25,000 in that county. So every every community we're in is very rural. Yeah. And, and if you were to draw a circle around that includes all of your campuses, what kind of mileage are we looking at? So if you go out from our Mariana campus, which is kind of our multi-site, it's not our, it's not our central campus, it's not the mothership, it's kind of uh, what we call our multi-site campus because we pretty much produce the product for all the other campuses. 
Uh, if you went east, uh, you would have to drive for about an hour and 15 minutes. And if you went west, uh, you would drive for about two, a little over two hours, about two hours and 15 minutes. Got it. If you go too far south, you're going to hit the Gulf of Mexico. That's exactly right. You'll be <laughs> the beat. That's right. That's good. All right. Well, let's, let's, um, I would love to, to get practical because I think that's what people worry about or wonder about a lot. And um, let's start with the way you guys program. When, when you think programming for your network of churches, uh, what does a Sunday morning look like from campus to campuses? In other words, are, are most of the services and ministries look the same? Is there a variation between campuses? What, what uh, streams, what is delivered and uh, implemented, what is created locally? Uh, tell us a little bit about your programming strategy. So our programming strategy is very much the Chick-fil-A model. Um, we consider ourselves multi-site, not multi-campus. And part of that is because we are rural. And so the um, financial side of it um, almost demands it. Um, because we have one service programming director that leads weekend experience directors, and some of them are even volunteers on our other campuses. And so you have basically one um, person that is leading each of our areas, like our weekend experience, our guest services, adult ministry. So if you would go from campus to campus, you would basically see um, and experience the same thing on every campus when it comes to uh, story of life change. We, we will um, often use the same story of life change in our vision part of our service. Uh, we do the same songs. Unless a campus just feels like they can't pull off that song, then they have the ability to take and change that up. Um, and then uh, all of that is uh, in person, communicated in person. And then our sermon is streamed to all of our campuses from our Mariana campus. So every campus pretty much has the same format, same way with family ministry. Everything is produced, even to the point of they order the supplies and the resources, and those are distributed out to all the other campuses. That really begs the question uh, to talk a little bit about staffing. So let's go back to the beginning. How did you approach staffing when you first started to go multi-site? You know, if, if your Rivertown story yeah. is similar to a lot of others, the multi-site support clicked in somewhere around between the second or third. Um, you guys might have been more strategic about that, but how did you approach staffing when you first started to go multi-site, and what have you adjusted since opening multiple campuses? Well, I wish we could say we were <laughs> more strategic on the first one. We this, this will give people encouragement. The first campus we launched was our Mariana campus. We launched it out of our Blountstown campus, and in the first six years of the Mariana campus, we went through four campus pastors and it grew. So um, it that was a disaster. Basically what ended up happening is we ended up operating with our first campus that we launched um, as one church meeting in two different venues. And so we were passing staff back and forth and it really was kind of messy on the front end. Um, I tell people oftentimes it's like, you know, a couple having a child and both of them are kind of taking care of the child. Right. Sometimes you don't know who's doing what. And that was kind of how we started off. It was really like one church just meeting in two different venues. And that was definitely not sustainable. And we learned that pretty quickly. And so these days is, is your multi-site support goes, um, 
Who supports the multi-site uh, in terms of their staff responsibility? Is that a dual responsibility, as in someone has on a campus and has a responsibility, but also has multi-site uh, responsibilities, or how, how are you structuring multi-site support? So we we went when we added our third campus, we started to go to more of a central staff, and we began to realize that we couldn't really afford to do that um, just because of, of the, the limited finances. So what we ended up doing is going to more of what we call a multi-site campus, which is our Mariana campus because it's pretty centrally located and it's our largest campus. And so what we did is we went to multi-site. So if you are a staff member on the Mariana campus, you are pretty much a multi-site producer as well as a campus leader. In other words, if you are our children's ministry director on Mariana campus, you help produce the product for all the other campuses. And what we do is we staff every role with some level of an assistant um, on the Mariana campus so that they can lead the Mariana campus teams, but also be able to produce a product for all of our other campuses. So like if you are our service programming director on Mariana, you basically oversee our weekend experience, but you have a weekend experience director on that campus with you, where our other campuses would only have a weekend experience director. And they yeah. basically get their CG, they get their loops or clicks, everything is handed to them. Uh, most, most of our um, other campuses can do weekend experience, for example, um, part-time. And same way with our children um, and student ministry can all be part-down roles because of what is produced out of or multi-site campus. So that central staff also is where you would find staff with responsibilities to handle finance and HR and IT and facilities and those type things, right? Because those those would not be supported locally on their on. No, campus. all of our all of our IT is is basically you could say a central deal. Our finances are central. All of that works out of our Mariana campus and our facilities um, is let out of our Mariana campus. Yeah. How many staff does Rivertown employ among all campuses in Central? About 23, 24. Talk to me about how you raise up a campus pastor. What is that process when you realize, hey, we're, we need a, a local leader, uh, we're interested, and I know this probably dovetails into the, the, the generation of that, that, that church site as well, but it, what's the preparation process in, in creating a leader for uh, a specific multi-site campus? What we learned through launching the Mariana campus is that we really had to go internally and raise someone up. In fact, we brought a, our first campus pastor and he had the best attitude, great guy. Um, he knew that he was our guinea pig and he, and he came in saying that. He said, I know I'm the guinea pig, I'm, but I'm, I'm committed to this process. And he attended one of the North Point campuses for years and was involved in adult ministries and some other ministries. Um, and so he knew the North Point model, but even bringing him in as much as we have adapted the North Point model of ministry um, to our strategy, uh, there was just a lot of cultural things that were not fully developed in him. And not only cultural based on what we do as a church, but also culturally based upon our region. And so we learned through the process of that, that we really had to bring a person in. And our goal is, is that we always have a campus pastor or a lead pastor for a campus in training because we like to have them in training for 12 to 18 months. And with us having five campuses at this point, we always pretty much try to keep 
one person on a Marina campus serving under, for example, Kevin Yoder, who is our adult ministries and guest services leader, um, being groomed to the, to lead a campus. So we, we learned really quickly with our first campus, you gotta, you gotta bring them in and help them own the culture of the organization and the region that we're in. I'm going to come back to asking you about how the, the rest of the process to really say we're ready to go for a site in this, but I want to ask you uh, real quickly staffing too. So for a, a, to run a campus of about, let's say three or 400 people, what, what is a campus of three or 400 people? What is that staff like? So a campus of three to 400 people, we would have a lead pastor, um, lead campus pastor, which also would lead adult ministries. Uh, which is all of our groups, care ministry, assimilation processes. Um, sometimes they will lead the guest services team um, as well. And then we would have a part-time um, ministry services director, and we would have a part-time family ministry director. Several of our campuses, that is one person, and they work full-time, but they have those two roles. Uh, normally, we contract uh, for our weekend experience director because that's a part-time role. And then we normally will contract for our student ministry director because that's also basically a part-time role. And basically what we've done is we've gone in and I can even share this with you, Billy, um, and created a chart of about how many hours it takes depending on the size of the campus for those roles because we create so much of the product. And so basically we say that we can run a 300 um, member campus with about two and a half staff members. That, that makes a lot of sense. And also, too, as you come to the point of deciding this is, we're, we've decided that it, another campus needs to be open. For your journey, has that typically been around opportunity and location? Has it been around that we have a critical mass at one of our campuses that is driving from a whole other community? What's been the process for you guys as, as you've decided it's time to open another campus? For us, it's been more about creating a community church. Um, so when we launched the Mariana campus out of Bluntstown, we had people from five counties driving to the Bluntstown campus. And there were a lot of people that would come for three to six months and they wouldn't stick. And we started doing exit interviews. And basically what we learned is that because they were having to drive 35, 40 minutes, it just... I mean, it just it didn't work for them to, to get connected. And they would say, if you would come to our community, then, you know, this, this kind of church would work and it would grow and could have a great impact. And so that's how Mariana happened. Um, and then once we had the Mariana campus open, we realized there were people from the Chipley location or the Chipley community that were driving to our Mariana location. And we started seeing the same thing, that all of a sudden now our Mariana campus is no longer just a community church, but it's drawing people from other counties as well. And so we had enough a critical mass from the Chifley area that we then said, okay, we will um, take that opportunity because people were like, well, we would stay, but it's just too far to drive or we'd love to be part of this. And so we started developing that process. That's kind of how most of our campuses have um, been birthed is out of people moving to another location or people coming from another community, I should say. Yeah. And so you see this process going on, you're hearing through exit interviews, you're hearing from people that while we're driving, 
you know, a good ways to get here. What also are you looking for when you decide, okay, let's go to somewhere like Chipley and decide we're going to create a, a, a church there. What are you looking to find that gives you confidence that it's going to work there? Well, we look for a core team. If we don't have five or more small groups, um, we're not going to launch. You know, we, we need to develop at least five or six small groups. So that gives us a good core uh, team on the front end. We also have to have a leader, which is really on us, um, that we're always having a campus lead pastor and training. And then the other thing is we really do the Luke 10 principle, kind of where Jesus told his disciples, like, if you go into a community and the man of peace, literally, because I was not a Christian, it was the leaders of the community. If they welcome you, then lean into that. And we always will go in and meet with the leaders of the community, not even necessarily the church pastors, but the leaders of the community, the people of power. And if they welcome us, then we lean into that. And here's the interesting thing. Every community we've gone into, um, there was one community we looked at. They did not welcome us. We backed out of it just because of that. But the other communities, based upon if we have a core team that we know we can build on, we have a leader, and then the community welcomes us, then we lean into that. And it's been amazing, the results. Yeah, that's, that's super helpful. Um, add into this uh, a little bit about your approaches with you're rolling in a community, you know you want to create a, a local church there. Facility and the budget to run that facility. What, what has been your approach as you're considering launching? So what we do is obviously, you know, you're going to try to find um, the least costly approach on the front end when it comes to facilities. Um, we have two permanent facilities and we have three lease facilities right now. And so one of our facilities is the lease is just very minimal. That's our Chipley campus. And so we were able to look at that um, lease and realize, okay, this is not going to cost us a lot to lease it, but it's going to cost us a lot to renovate it. Uh, our Wakala facility, it is a little more costly to, to lease, um, but not as costly to renovate. And so we look at both of those factors, what it's going to cost to lease, what's going to cost to renovate, to bring it up to the standard. And then we build a budget on that. And what we've discovered is it takes us about five hundred to $600,000 per campus um, to really have what we need to renovate the facility and have the funds to run that campus and, and the staff for, the, for a year. Yeah, so that's a launch cost of about a, about yes. half million dollars. Yeah, tell me specifically when you're talking about facilities, are these churches? Or have they been? Are they community centers? What, what are you finding in your area that's that's working for you as you renovate these churches? Well, in a rural area, um, there's a lot of buildings that are standing empty, and um, so the the Wakulla campus, for example, it was a church facility that went bankrupt. The community. Um, took it on and turned it into a community center, and they built it out as a federal with a federal grant. Then, of course, federal grants go away. They needed money to fund it, so we came in and said, "Hey, we'll spend about one hundred fifty thousand dollars to renovate this for you guys if you'll let us use it, and we'll pay you a thousand dollars a week." And that facility, we pay a thousand dollars a week for. We renovated it. You walk on that campus. That facility is painted with the same colors of all the rest of our camp. It's amazing uh, the favor we got from that community. And we even have our offices 24-7 in that. We wrote that into our lease. And um, it's just pretty incredible. So that was a previous church 
campus is now a community center in that community. So, man, we have all kind of traffic and it's given us great visibility in the community and also great impact. Our Chipley campus, um, it is in a old golf club. It sits on a old golf course, a nine hole golf course, beautiful, beautiful campus. And uh, we went in and renovated that facility and it has about 140, 150 seat auditorium. And we own some property that butts right up against that, up against that. So we're going to build out about a 300 seat auditorium um, on that um, in that area. And we have a long-term lease, which costs us nothing to lease that, but we spent $500,000 renovating the property. And so um, we put a lot more money in it because there was no lease cost to it. We just had to pay a, a deposit down. And so we look at every, every, um, every campus is just so different. Our Mariana campus, when we started it, we were in the high school auditorium for four years and we leased it for four years until we um, built out a property in Mariana. And then our fair hope is that was a church merger. And so uh, that is also a leased property. That's great. That's great. While we're, while we're on the top of finances, I'm interested in how do you handle finances and budgets now that you're multi-site? I know there's a lot of different models and a lot of different scenarios that, that, that can all work, but what is your specific approach to, to budget? So one of the things we've always worked really hard to do and we have, we've stayed debt free. And we always keep our operating expenses about 10% less than our income. So that gives us, we always try to work with a lot of margin. Um, and a result of that, we've been able to launch most of our campuses out of margin. And so then the way we do our budgeting is we have, everything goes into one general fund and then we have six classes. So we have, you know, our Bluntstown campus, um, class, we our budget, we have Mariano, you know, Fairhope, Chipley, Wakulla, and then we have what we call our multi-site. And so there are some things like IT, um, major projects that need to happen, um, finance, all of those things. There's so many things that come out of multi-site that depending on the income of a campus, they get charged a percentage of the multi-site uh, budget. And, but really our producing campuses really carry the majority of the multi-site. In fact, normally what we do is we won't charge a campus any of the multi-site costs or the central costs, if you want to call it that, until they've been going for at least a year, year and a half. Um, last couple of questions, Paul. This has been so good. Um, it's been so great to hear your, just a, the story of an actual church that has done this and done it so well. I, I want to ask you about you, something for you as a leader. How do you keep the mission and vision and the culture consistent across your campuses? And I know there's a level of importance and emphasis on keeping these churches local and plugged into their communities, but also too, to, to be something other than just a bunch of church plants that are out there. There's a communal mission and vision that I know that a lot of that falls on you as a leader to communicate and to cultivate. How, how, how do you find ways to do that? That's a challenge. It really is because um, we always, we all have heard the statement that the more people you put around the fire, the farther out you get, the, the cooler it gets to people, right? That tends to happen a lot with the whole multi-site um, approach we were finding out, especially now that we have five campuses. 
So what we have done to try to take that to the next level is we bring all of our staff together two times a month. Um, one is uh, basically half a day, one is a whole day, and we really work to bring all of our campuses back to our core values, our, gov our governing principles, our, our strategy, our mission, our vision. And so if we start seeing if our lead pastors feel like we're um, drifting away from something, we'll talk about it and then we'll put it into our trainings and, and try to work on alignment. And then the other thing we do is the other two weeks of the month, um, I meet with all of our lead pastors and we really work on alignment. And then I think the other thing that we've discovered is be because we are multi-site, not multi-campus, and we all tend to do the same thing, uh, there has to be a lot more collaboration and there has to be a lot more conversation about how to make it work so that we're all leaning into the same uh, mission vision without kind of diluting that in any way. And in some ways, being multi-site where everybody's doing the same thing, there has to be more conversations on the front end. So there's ownership with that versus where people are just out there creating their own thing. Um, you wouldn't have to have as many conversations because we did try that approach for a while um, because everybody just kind of bursts what's in their heart and then facilitates that versus when you go to those true multi-site where everybody's doing the same thing, there's got to be a lot more conversations for buy-in on the front side. Paul, this has been such a helpful conversation. Thanks for, for sharing your time with us. We really are, uh, are so grateful to, to watch what God is doing uh, down in the panhandle through Rivertown. Um, if you want to know more about Rivertown, you can, you can find them on the web at rivertown.cc. That's your website. So you can learn a lot more and actually see some of this as it comes out in action. And so thanks for sharing time with us. Thanks to uh, all of you that are listening this week on the Lead Pastor Podcast. If you're a partner in the North Point Network, be sure to check out the conversation to go with today's podcast. You can find that at northpointpartners.org. If you're not a partner but would love more information, click on the Explore Partnership link in the show notes to learn more about how the North Point Partner Network could help your church go further faster.